Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. Well, if you have your Bibles, why don't you go with me over to uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Now, this is one of my favorite passages of scriptures. Uh, really helps shape the culture of our church and the vision of our church, what we're all about. Um, and, you know, this is a particular meal, which we'll talk a little bit about this next Sunday. Uh, many of you may know this as uh, the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper. I know that uh, Leonardo da Vinci painted that beautiful painting and many others uh, kind of had their little rendition of it. And so it may be familiar to most of you, but this is a great meal. And I think it's so fitting uh, to have this in the middle of our collection about a meal with Jesus. And if you've been missing the last couple of weeks, maybe you've been out of town or whatever, check out the podcast. Um, but what we've been talking about is this, is that there are all these mills throughout Jesus's ministry and his life that he would share either with individuals or with a group of people or with a crowd of people. And in those moments where he shared mills, they were actually more than mills. They were more than just metaphors. They were actually windows into a message. It was a message about grace. Last week we talked about the scandalous grace of God. That was a, a message that came through a mill that he had uh, with a group of people. Um, we talked about uh, the miracle maker, this, this miracle maker Jesus, whenever he multiplied the fish and the bread and he shared that mill with people. But all of these mills throughout Jesus' ministry and through his life, when you read them, you have to begin to ask the question, God, there's got to be more than just a mill. They wouldn't just leave just a story about a mill here. There's got to be a message behind the mill. And so we've been doing that the last few weeks. We've been just kind of parachuting into the story, imagining ourselves inside of that story and saying, Jesus, if you could communicate a message to us as individuals and as a church based on this moment around the table, what would it be? And we've been learning a lot. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper, this beautiful meal here. And, and I got to tell you that you know it's got to be pretty important if this is the very last meal that Jesus has with his friends, his followers, right before he goes to the cross. This is, uh, this is right before Passover and that Friday where he goes and he lays his life down for his friends and for all of humanity. But it was, it was these last moments that Jesus shared with his friends. Uh, he shared more than a meal. He shared, I believe, he, he really revealed even more about his character and about the mission and the mandate of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Um, there had one writer that I read the other day. He said this. It was a British minister, Alexander McLaren. He, he once wrote about John 13. Nowhere else is his speech, speaking of Jesus' speech, is Jesus' speech at once so simple and so deep. Nowhere else have we the heart of God so unveiled to us. The immortal words which Christ spoke in that upper room are his highest self-revelation and speech. And that's what we're going to read right here. These are the last moments where Jesus is trying to teach. Think about this. The guys that are going to carry this, this mission that Jesus is passing the torch to them, these are the final moments, his last words. Here's what he says uh, to them in this. Here's how it goes in John chapter 13. It says, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. So he knows, he knows he's about to die. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end or to the uttermost. He loved them to the full degree, to the very end. It says the evening meal was in progress. So they're in the middle of eating. It says they're in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He had given him all authority and it's all under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God, speaking of God the Father. So knowing 
who he is, where he came from, and all the authority and the power that he has in light of that. So he got up from the mill. He got up from the mill. He took off his outer clothing, which was a robe, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. In the next few verses, there's a dialogue between Jesus and Peter about uh, him washing his feet. And no, you can't wash my feet. Fine, if you're going to wash my feet, wash me all over. And that's a whole other sermon. It's a beautiful picture. Jesus is creating a parable around forgiveness, the idea of cleansing sin. But we won't dig into those verses. We'll just continue on in verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have just done for you, Jesus says. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. And he says, I have set you an example or a pattern that you should do as I have done for you. Verse 16, very truly I say to you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed If you do them, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus gets up from the seat at at the table, the guest of honor seat. He gets up from that moment. He takes off his robe. He wraps a towel around him. He grabs the basin that everybody walked by. And one by one, he begins to wash his friend's feet, teaching them a message. And hopefully today we can learn just a little bit about what it means to love people through Serving. So here's a little title. If you're taking notes, write this down. Uh, they're going to check your notes in heaven, so make sure you take notes here. Um, from sitting to serving. From sitting, Jesus was seated at the table. He was the guest at the dinner party, the guest of honor. He's the center of attention, but he moves from being seated to serving, from sitting to serving. We're going to talk about that for a few moments today. But I want you to pray with me. Lord, we love you so much. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. God, I thank you that your presence is here with us. And uh, right now we just lean in to what you would want to say to us today. uh, God, I pray that we would all have open hearts and open minds, including myself, to what you may want to say in this moment. We say this together. We say, come Holy Spirit, have your way. Speak to us. We are listening. We thank you that there are no great preachers, only the great gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you receive it, why don't you clap your hands for God's word. Have you ever noticed how gross feet are? I, uh, I, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but, but like feet, feet are really, they're, they're disgusting things. You, you've never, have you ever heard somebody say, oh, look at those. Those are beautiful feet. No one, no one does that. If you do that, you're weird, okay? You, if you have that like foot fetish thing, that's really, that's really gross. It's really disgusting, okay? <laughs> right, no one says that. Like I know there's hand models and probably foot models. Uh, but I, I can just tell you this right now. Like, I don't like feet. You can ask my wife. You can ask my friends, people that know me. I don't like feet. I don't even like wearing sandals. I don't want even people to look at my feet. I think there should be a law. None of us should be able to wear sandals. And I think that if you are going to wear your Birkenstocks, you should wear socks. Socks and stocks. That should be the combo. You should keep them things covered in public. No one should see that. It's inappropriate. There's a scripture somewhere about it. <laughs> Oh, man, feet are so nasty. Um, I don't want to look at them. I don't want to t- look at them. I don't want to touch them. I don't want to smell them. Just, just keep them away from me. Last night, uh, my little man right, is right down here, Nixon. Hey, Nix, what's up, buddy? Hey, you doing good? Nixon's right down here. He, he wasn't feeling good, and so he's in service with us today. But last night, 
I walk into the living room and we were, we were watching Karate Kid. Okay, so like with the original, you got to introduce your kids to Karate Kid. It's just, it's a must, right? Daniel's son. Like we, we were there hanging out. And, uh, and so we're watching it and he wasn't feeling good. So he laid across the couch and I mean, he's like, he, he lays his head on mom's lap. He's like, mom, will you rub my back? And I'm sitting to the right side of the couch and he goes, dad, will you rub my feet? I looked at him like, I'm, I'm going to cast that devil out of you. You know better than this, you know. <clears throat> but, but you know what? I saw those little piggies there. I just grabbed him. I started rubbing. He had that little smile. How are you going to say no? when he's just like, you know, just smiling. Dad, will you massage my feet? And I started rubbing his feet there and uh, massaging his feet. You know, I, I, will, I will touch his feet. Um, I will touch my oldest son's feet sometimes, uh, after, like after he's taking a shower. Um, I'll even... Occasionally, I'll massage my wife's feet. Um, but those are the only feet I will touch. I barely even touch my own feet, okay? <laughs> I think the reason I, I, I'm willing to touch their feet is that I have something for them that, I mean, I love all people, but I don't love anybody the way that I love them. And then this little girl that's going to come, like, you know, the parents, I've always been grossed out when I've seen this, but I think I'd probably do it. Um, when the little baby, you grab the baby's foot and you're like kissing the baby's foot and stuff. I've seen Nate and Kayla do it with their kid and I've thought, they're insane. They need, they need to go to counseling for that because that is... <laughs> But Nate, for real, like, I think I'm going to do it as well. I think I'm going to be so, so in love and captivated by this little girl that I'm, I'll probably, like, kiss her feet as well. And it's because, because of my love for them, okay? I love you, but I'm never going to touch your feet. I'm going to tell you that straight up right now. Now, I grew up, I grew up even in a, in a, a, a charismatic denomination. Um, our church is not, we, don't, we wouldn't classify ourselves as being charismatic or Pentecostal or this, that, whatever. I say we're balanced. We're both charismatic and contemplative. Like we're thoughtful and we are passionate. Like we like to share those things. But I grew up in a very charismatic, Pentecostal, like, you know, uber churchy type environment. And I remember, some of you are going to be like, are you kidding me when you hear this? But I remember going to a foot washing ceremony. Some of you in here, you probably never heard of that. That's like a real, some of you are raising your hand like, oh yeah, let's bring back the foot washing ceremony. No, we're not doing it. We are not. That's another church down the street. Go, you know, we're not doing it. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, we, Lord, we'll do whatever you want, but please don't ask us to do that. But I remember I grew up in one of these environments where there would, you know, there's like, I don't even know what the point of it was. Like, like, like just like this ceremony, like we wash people's feet and we're about serving people. I think it's an easy ceremony to host, but not actually have the essence of it in your heart. Because what Jesus is doing here, it's more than a ceremony. It's more than a practice. It's a principle that he's teaching these men. He's, he's trying to teach them, you've got to get this because this is a part of our calling. We are called to serve. Listen, write this down. Save people, serve people. You just need to know it right now. If you've been saved by the grace of God, you've been called by the grace of God. If Jesus has touched your life, if he's forgiven you of your sins, if he's given you a fresh start and a new beginning, listen, eventually save people, serve people. That consumers that have consumed the grace of God, consumed the mercy of God, consumed the presence of God, like it's okay for us to stay con as consumers a bit, but at some point in the maturation process, we move from being consumers to being contributors, from being seated to serving, from sitting to serving, from being party guest to becoming party host. And this is what Jesus is teaching these guys. I love it. Let's just imagine the story here for a moment. The backdrop is actually in Luke chapter 22, the account that the doctor gives there over in Luke 22. It's actually this. It's not in John 13, but in Luke, there is a dispute happening among the disciples in the middle of the mill. 
these 12 guys, they have been rolling with Jesus for three years. You would think by this point, they understand what the kingdom is all about. They understand the culture of God, how your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like you would think at this point after seeing Jesus, God made flesh that is ushering in the kingdom. Like this is a new way, a new perspective, a new way of doing things. Them after observing him for three years, you would think at this point they would get it. But they don't. At this meal, the final meal that they're going to have with Jesus before he goes to the cross, they're actually arguing about who the greatest in the room is. Look at what it says over in Luke 22. A dispute arose among them as to which one of them was considered to be the greatest. It's like, is it John? You know, John's the one, the beloved. Like he writes about himself saying, I'm the one that Jesus loves. Like who writes that about themselves, right? I'm the one that Jesus really loved, you know. Is it Peter? Is, is it Peter, you know, the one that, that walked on water with Jesus? And, and I imagine Thomas is there saying, it can't, Peter can't be the greatest. I mean, he sunk. Like, he didn't even stay. Like, he walked on water, but he sunk. Like, it can't be him. He's not the greatest. And then Bartholomew was like, no, no, I think I'm the greatest. They're like, Bartholomew, nobody's even going to remember your name. Like, you, you know you're not the greatest. Like, we never talk about Bartholomew, right? Poor guy. And everybody's like, uh, uh, Thomas is like, I'm going to be the greatest. And they're like, eh, Thomas, you doubt, you're always doubting if Jesus is really who he says he is. So they're like arguing back and forth. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Who's going to sit at his right side whenever he becomes king? They're still thinking in earthly terms. Like Jesus is going to, he's going he's gonna to start ruling and reigning and leading the charge for the revolution. And who's going to be the greatest that is going to be right by his side, that is going to carry the title and the position and the authority? Who is it going to be? It's going to be me. It's going to be me. And this is the backdrop that Jesus says, these fools still don't get it. And now I'm going to teach them a lesson. They're in the middle of eating. They're breaking out some grape leaves and some hummus. They're throwing down. No one laughed at that. That was, <laughs> internally, I was laughing. I thought that was great. Tough crowd. Anyway, um, they're in the middle of eating. And it's like, what should have happened is that tradition, we talked about this a little bit last week. Tradition is this, is there should have been a basin of water at the door, and a, not just a servant, not just a host, but a slave, the lowest in, in the whole serving uh, rankings there, the very lowest of the low, would have been given the assignment seated at the door or on their knees at the door, and whenever the guests would walk in, they would take a ladle of water and they would begin to wash the feet because the feet of these men or the women that would walk the streets of Jerusalem, as we said last week, they're wearing Air Jerusalems. They got the Birkenstocks on. They're work, walking up and down the streets, and it's dirt. It's muddy. It's animal feces. It's, it's very, very nasty. And so their custom was that you would wash a person's feet when they came in. Because the way that they would sit, they would, they would not sit in chairs. They would actually, they would sit, they would lean back on a cushion. They were semi-recumbent and they would have their feet behind them and leaning over eating. But they would wash their feet at the door and a slave would do that. But for some reason that didn't happen. But what we can only assume is that every person walked in and they just looked. You know they checked like where's, some, where's somebody that's going to wash my feet and there's no one here, but they see the basin. We know the basin was there. We know a towel is there. We know the resources are there. The need is there, but nobody was willing to do it. And they just keep walking by the need. I think there's a lot of churches in our city that for a long time have, have just walked by the needs, the practical needs of our city. And that's what's caused so many churches and Christians to lose credibility in our city because we've just walked by a need, though we've had the resources to fix it. 
and to help it and to serve the need, we just walk right by. I pray we'd never be a church or Christians that just walk by needs and leave them unmet when we have the resources and the ability to serve those needs. Amen? They just keep walking by. They're walking by the basin. They're walking by the water. They're walking by the towel. And so they all sit down. Now, the mill is already in progress. It has already happened. The bowl or the basin is no longer necessary because they've already started eating. This is, this is, this is no longer a necessary thing. But Jesus, he sees, like, this is going to be a moment where I'm going to teach these guys something. And though he's the guest of honor, he's sitting at the table in the middle of them arguing about who the, great, who the greatest is. Jesus stands up unannounced, and he walks over, and he assumes the position of a slave. And before he assumes that position, the Bible says he takes off his outer robe. The robe was the robe of a rabbi. This identified his position and his title. But to Jesus, a towel is more important than a title. It's not about his position. It's, not, not, it's about the principle he wants to teach these men. And he gets over there and he takes off his robe and he lays it down. I imagine they probably still don't know what's going on. He lays his robe down. And he doesn't just pick up the towel and hold it in his hand. He ties it around his waist like an apron. It becomes, literally, it becomes a part of himself. It's on him. And one by one, I don't know if they noticed it when he went to the first guy or how many guys he had to wash their feet, but he gets down on his knees. The son of God, the savior of the world, God in flesh, the one that spoke the earth into existence, that with his hands he shaped the mountains, he's now massaging dirty feet. The first guy, he washes his feet. The second guy, he washes his feet. And maybe the third or fourth guy, they realize what's going on. And all of a sudden, it gets awkward. This, this had to be an awkward moment. Think about this. Imagine if your boss walked into your office and just started doing your job, like washing your feet. or like get, That would be like, a, oh, God, what's going on here? It's awkward. That's why Peter starts to argue with him and, and debate with him. And like, why are you doing this? But Jesus is teaching this moment. And he begins to talk with them as he's washing their feet. But I think the first thing that I really, that sticks out to me as I read this story um, is that when he takes off the robe, he's communicating a message. And he's communicating that your title doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter how big you are. I mean, he's the most important person in the room. Wouldn't you agree? He's the most important person in the room. He's got the biggest title. He's got the, the, the biggest position. The mo- you know, he is everything. And yet he does the smallest task. And then serving, one of the things we talk about as a team here all the time, and it's not just for our, our dream team, it's for us as a church and it's for the kingdom of God. It's the message that I think Jesus wants to say to us, the same thing he was saying to them, that if you're too big to serve, you are too small to lead. If you're too big to do this, you're too small to be a part of what I want to do in leading transformation for the kingdom of God. Like this is why I came. Jesus said, I did not come here to be served. I came here to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, my calling is not wrapped up in a robe. A robe is nothing. My calling is not wrapped up in a title. My calling is wrapped up in serving the needs of people. That is what I'm called to do. We have a phrase that we say here, serving is our calling. We believe that it is our calling. We believe that it's a calling not just to the pastor, not just for the people on the, on the platform, but it's a calling for every person that's a follower of Jesus. We're called to serve within the church and we're called to serve outside of the church. This should, this, should, uh, this should encompass every part of who we are, that we serve the people within our church family, but we also serve the people, the broken and the lost and the hurting of our community, that we are by very identity, we are called to be servants of Jesus Christ. 
We can't just be saved. We have to move from being saved and being a consumer to becoming a servant. We have to at some point say, it's not enough for me just to, to have a seat at the table. I want to get up and I want to serve other people to create a seat for them at the table. This is what Christianity is really all about, is we have to move to that place. Another thing that we say here a lot of times, and I'm just kind of giving you some of our, this is kind of a, this is like a church family moment where I'm kind of peeling back the, the curtain and saying, take a look into to what we talk about all the time. We say this, if serving is beneath you, then leading is beyond you. If serving is beneath you, if, if there's things like picking up the trash or, or washing the dishes, and this works in church and at your house, by the way, like this works everywhere. If there's anything that is beneath you, then leading and influence, it's way beyond you. Like you'll never be able to lead and influence people. But it's the, those that serve. It, it sounds so backwards in the kingdom of this world, the culture that we live in. It's all about you getting to the top of the organizational chart and having more and more people serve you. But in the kingdom, it's upside down and it's having more and more people that you get to serve. And as you get to serve them, you get to influence them and you get to lead them. If, if serving is beneath you, then leading is beyond you. Um, you know, I remember whenever I first uh, figured out that I was called uh, to follow Jesus. It was in 2000. I gave my life to Jesus. Not too long after that, I began to pray and I felt like this call to, I want to give my life to help build the church. I, I didn't feel like I was called to necessarily be on staff at a church. I didn't feel like I was necessarily called to do a certain, be in a certain role. But I just knew, God, I want to enlist me into your army of servants to serve humanity. I just want to serve God. And then I begin to figure out, I think I'm called to maybe communicate to, to, to pastor. I think that that is my role. My contribution to the kingdom would be preaching and teaching and communicating and those things. And so I remember going to my youth pastor, and I know I've probably mentioned this story here before, but I went to my youth pastor and I said, hey, Pastor Mike, I feel called to preach. This is right after a youth service. I said, Mike, I feel called to preach. Just give me a mic. I feel called to preach. And he said, okay, great. You feel called to preach. I said, man, I feel called. He said, okay, you want to serve the kingdom? You feel called to preach? He said, when everybody leaves... We're going to stack up all these chairs in stacks of eight, and we're going to slide them to the left of the room, and there's a little closet over there. I want you to put all the chairs in the room. There's a push broom. I want you to get that broom, and when everyone leaves, I want you to sweep up all the floor because it's a mess in here. All these junior high and high school kids have left trash everywhere. I want you to sweep and clean up, and then you can lock the door with the custodian, and uh, we'll see you back here next Wednesday. And next Wednesday, I want you to get all those chairs, stacks of eight, slide them out, and I want you to put them all out and work a little chairology, which means we're going to separate the chairs a little bit. We're going to make sure everything's set for the guests when they come. And I interrupted him and I said, Mike, I don't think you heard what I said. I feel called to preach. He said, I don't think you heard what I said. Stacks of eight, slot them to the left. I said, Mike, but I feel called to serve my generation and lead people to the Lord and change the world. He said, you are called, my friend, to pick up a broom because if you can't rock a broom, you will never rock a mic. If serving is beneath you, Jason, then leading is beyond you. And I remember I made a decision. Okay, fine, Mike, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be faithful in this. I'm going to be the best push broomer you've ever seen. Stacks of, hey, I'm going to work these chairs for the next two years. For the next two years. That was my assignment. I didn't touch a mic. <laughs> I didn't touch a stage. I just had a romantic relationship with all the chairs in the room. We just, we began to know each other just intimately. I mean, I just loved these chairs. I would talk to these chairs. I would preach to these chairs. I got all the chairs saved. I mean, I learned how to preach, preaching to chairs. And finally, after two years, Mike said, you know what? You've been faithful. And he said, faithfulness that's never been tested cannot be trusted. You've been faithful in serving, and now God's going to elevate you and give you more responsibility to serve and now you can share your testimony next week.
Now, I, I tell you that because I believe that for all of us, it doesn't matter what your assignment is. If it's communicating and teaching, it doesn't matter if it's being a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad. It doesn't matter if it's at a workplace. Wherever you may be, inside the church, outside the church, listen to me. One of the greatest things that you can do, if you want to be great, because this was the backdrop of the story. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Jesus would say to you, you want to be great? And pick up a towel and begin to serve people. What does it mean to serve? Here's a simple definition. See a need, meet it. See something needs to be done, do it. That's it. There's nothing sexy about that. There's nothing glamorous about that. But you see a need and you meet it. You see some, something that needs to be done and you do it all to the glory of God and for the good of man. I'm telling you, when you live your life like that, God uses you to make a difference. A lot of times we want to make a difference across the seas. We want to go to Africa or the Philippines or whatever. We want to go across the seas, but God can't even trust us to go across the street and to serve the people even down the hall in our own house. We see a need, we meet it, we see something needs to be done and we do it. What does that look like? When you see that sink full of dirty dishes and you have four different roommates and you're walking by thinking, here's what you're going to be thinking. I did not make this mess. You should look at it and you should just let the mantra arise. That may not be mine, but today it is. I see a need, I'm going to meet it. I see something needs to be done and I'm going to do it all for the glory of God and for the good of man. And you serve. Why? You serve because that is our calling. It doesn't matter if it's inviting people to church. It doesn't matter if it's serving within the church or if it's just washing the dishes at your house. We serve, we see a need, and we meet it. Because why? Because it's who we are, which is the second thing I want to tell you. Listen, serving isn't just something that we do. Serving is who we are. It's who we are. It should permeate every part of your life. It should not just be an activity, it should be an attitude. It should not just be an action, it should literally, it should be our attitude. Philippians talks about the same attitude that Jesus Christ had should dwell in us. We should have the same mindset, the same perspective that Jesus had. Though he, though he was God, he did not cling to his rights as God, but he laid aside his rights and he did what? He humbled himself in the form of a servant and a slave, laying his life down on the cross for you and I. The greatest servant of all is this, this man named Jesus. Though he had every right as God, he did not cling to his rights. How many times do we, you and I, do we miss opportunities to serve people because we're too busy cling, clinging to our rights? But he laid aside, he took his robe off and he laid his robe aside. aside. This is a, a picture of what he did in heaven. When he, when he was in heaven as God, he took off his royal robes and said, I will come down as a servant and as a slave to serve humanity. What do you need to lay aside in order to serve the people around you? Sometimes, if I'm honest, sometimes it's my pride. Sometimes it's just my ego. I want people to think that I'm important. I remember one time I was, I was on staff at this church, Gateway Church, beautiful church, 35,000-member church. It's awesome, massive, beautiful church. And I, I thought I was something because I received the, the, the title, the position of executive. I was an executive at this church. And then one day they, they needed help in this, in this youth event. They needed help rolling T-shirts. Because at youth conferences and, and services, they like to roll up T-shirts, wrap them in rubber bands, and then like shoot them out in the crowds like you do at basketball games. Just hit some little snotty-nosed junior high kid in the head with a, you know, rolled-up T-shirt and parents call you. It was great. It was phenomenal. Great experience in my life. Anyway, they called me and they were like, hey, or they called a group of us. They were like, we need you to, to serve in, in, in this particular room. And I remember I did not want to go in there. And I went in this room and I'm thinking, I'm an executive. Like, like I, you know, I serve at a higher level. I don't really do like t-shirt rolling anymore. Like I did that back in the day. Like I kind of, you know, I, I'm at a different level now. And um, I remember I was over there rolling these t-shirts and I was having the, that was the attitude I had. 
and, and God really, through the Holy Spirit, the way he speaks to me, he just began to speak to my attitude. So your actions are a reflection of your attitude. And I was, I was serving with, such, with the worst attitude. And, and God said, Jason, really? You can't roll a T-shirt? Really? Like, we well, you know, I'm, God, I'm an executive. I don't know if you knew that or not, Lord. But uh, I've been promoted uh, to the executive role. And, you know, and, and I felt like he said, you have lost your attitude to serve people. He was like, how am I ever going to trust you with planting a church when you can't even roll a T-shirt? I was like, Lord, I was just messing with you. I was just practicing on my role there, Lord. I just want to get my role on. And so, you know, but listen, serving is not, it's not just something that you do. It's who you are. And when you begin to, when you begin to get to these places where there's certain things you won't do or you feel like you're serving at a different place and it's not permeating every area of your life, then you realize that you've lost the attitude and the mindset and the perspective of I'm just here to serve people. I'm here to serve. Serving is more than just doing things that need to be done. It must become a part of the culture and the ethos of who you are. It can't just be, there's a job, i got to do it. It's got to become so second nature, like going the second mile becomes second nature, that you don't even think about it. Like you, everybody's walking by trash at work and you see it, not you. Not you. That's my trash. Pick it up, put it away. Why? Is that really making a big difference? I think so in your own heart. In my own heart, it's training us to become servant-hearted followers of Jesus. Serving is not just something that we do. It's who we are. It has to become a part of the fabric of who we are. Um, I wrote this down. Jesus, he was a servant, and we know it because it came out in everything. To the hungry person, the title doesn't make a difference. But Jesus made a difference in a hungry person's life. To a homeless person, a title doesn't make a difference, but Jesus made a difference in people's lives that had no place to rest. To a hurting person, a title doesn't make a difference. To a battered person, a title doesn't make a difference. Look, to a trafficked person, a title doesn't make a difference. To a lonely person, a title doesn't make a difference. To a dying person, a title doesn't make a difference. To a lost person, a title doesn't make a difference. Listen, titles don't matter. Position doesn't matter. But whenever we have allowed servanthood to become a very part, the very part of who we are, it becomes it, we become like to that place where we identify with, I am a servant and this is who I am. It's more than just an assignment. It begins to permeate every single thing that we do. This is what we see when we look at the life of Jesus. I love that about him. The question is, how does that happen? Now, that sounds very philosophical. How does serving become more than just something you do, but who you are? I'm going to tell you how. Two ways. Prayer and number two, practice. You and I have got to get to the place where we pray. God, will you give me a servant's heart? Because here's the truth. We are sinful people. We are broken and flawed. And we are self-preserving by nature. And we're self-serving by nature. We're self-seeking by nature. It is part of the depravity of man. It is, it is because we live in a broken world, we are naturally prone to just think about ourselves. And to serve ourselves, we're always trying. Listen, when you're standing in line and you're at the Warriors game, and then there's people trying to butt in line in front of you, you know you don't think about serving them. You think about elbowing them in the throat. But how does it? That's because that's who we are. It doesn't matter if you're a guy, girl, rich, poor. We are self-seeking, self-serving by nature. We have got to work against that and allow the Holy Spirit to transform and change us. How? I think the first way is by prayer. You, you would do well and I would do well to just begin to pray, Lord, I am not naturally a servant, but will you help me become a servant? Help me to serve my wife. Help me to serve my husband. Help me to serve my kids. Lord, give me a servant's heart. Create in me a servant's heart, Lord. Prayer. But it can't stop there. It's not all spiritual. Some of it is very practical. We have to practice the art of serving and it's in the doing 
comes the becoming. It's as we begin to do, we become. As you serve, the more and more we serve, it begins to literally, it begins to transform us. It begins to make a huge difference in our life. Even last night we were watching, um, we were watching uh, Karate Kid. It's one of my favorite things ever is Mr. Miyagi, when he's teaching Daniel, wax on, wax off, you know, up, down, you know, side to side, wax on, wax off. And Daniel's like, he like loses his mind. He's like, what are you doing? You're supposed to be training me on how to fight. And then he has that moment with him and he shows him, he reveals to him this whole time, you're you're doing this and you think you are actually becoming, you're becoming a fighter. You're becoming this karate expert by you just doing these motions. It's in the doing is the becoming. Listen, listen, I wrote this down. You know how I became a giver? By giving. Listen, in giving, I became a giver. In worshiping, I became a worshiper. In leading, I became a leader. In pastoring, I became a pastor. In fathering, I became a father. In golfing, I put, I became a golfer, but that's not really true. <clears throat> and in serving, you become a servant. Here's what, but listen, because I've, I've shared that before here at our church. But here's, here's, a, here's a fresh little angle on this. When you stop the practicing, you actually revert. And so if, if, if serving, the practice of serving makes you become a servant, if you ever get to the place where you think you no longer have to serve and you stop serving, you actually begin to go backwards. And you begin to, literally, you begin to come back to this place of being self-serving and self-seeking and self-preserving. It is in the practicing that we become and I love it because the next thing it says is this, is he looks at his disciples after he does all this. He says, now that I, your Lord, verse 14, and teacher have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. You know, it's interesting. I think that they would have easily said, Jesus, I'll wash your feet because they know who he is. But I think the challenge is washing the feet of your peers. And he knows it. He says, guys, I don't need you to wash my feet. I need you to, I need you to begin to serve each other. These are guys that are divisive. And there's no unity. They're just like constantly arguing and fighting. And he says, imagine Jesus looking at them thinking, this is, these are the fathers of the church. I'm leaving the church in their hands. And they're fighting like this. Dear God, dear me, whatever. You know, it's like, it's like guys, just get along. Can't we all just get along? Just serve each other. Like, he's just, it's like this plea to them. Like, guys. If this thing's going to work, you've got to get a servant's heart and humble yourself. Stop fighting about who's the most important and the greatest. Let's start serving each other. I can tell you this. One of the most attractive things about the church is not if we just give away things. It's not if we have some gimmicky service to attract people in. I, I would submit to you that whenever Christians begin to truly serve one another, not just serving the outsider or the lost or the broken, but when we truly serve one another in humility and love, that becomes one of the most attractional qualities of the church. Do you know when you read Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, the beginning of the church, it's not on the screen. Read it when you get a chance. They weren't doing outreach. Like they weren't actually going outside of the church to reach people. Now you should do that. Don't get me wrong. But here's how they were reaching people. Verse 47 says that every single day the Lord was adding, adding to their number people that were being saved or coming to Christ, faith in Christ. And the church was growing every day. Outsiders were coming in. But you know, you know why that was happening? Because outsiders saw the way that the insiders treated each other and served each other. And it became attractional to them. They saw how they were like, you know what? This person needs a job. Well, we have, I, at my work, we have a job opening. And why don't we get that person a job? And this person can't you know, afford rent. Well, we're going to take some money over here. And we're going to pull up our money. And we're going to help pay their rent. And this person. And they were meeting each other's needs and serving one another. And it was such a beautiful 
attractional picture of the love of God that outsiders say, we cannot miss out on this. That was, their, that was how evangelism worked for the early church. But Jesus goes on and he says this. He goes, guys, I've set an example for you that you should do as I have done. Verse 16, very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. And verse 17, and this would be my final point for you, says now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Here's the final thing I think that Jesus was trying to teach them. There's a lot of things he could, he could have taught them in this, and I'm sure that there were a lot of lessons that were learned. But I love the last part of this. Serving isn't a burden, it's a blessing. This is a, this is a perspective change and a paradigm shift for these guys. It's like, guys, you, you see that assignment of serving. You see it as a burden and an inconvenience. And he says, I'm here to tell you that there's a blessing in serving. There is something that you will never experience until you stop making life just about yourself, guys. You got to make it about other people. There is a blessing in serving. God will use serving to transform your life, but also to make a difference in the lives of other people. And in doing that, you will find, and I will find so much joy and so much fulfillment. I'm telling you, this is the truth. Now, I'll finish with these last little thoughts here. I thought about some of the people that are on our dream team that work so hard uh, in their normal jobs, you know, and they serve like crazy uh, and they serve in different areas of our teams. But I wanted to highlight just a few people. Is it, would it be okay if I do that? I mean, you guys always see me or Josh or Elton or some of the worship team on, on the platform up here. But I want to highlight a few people. The first person I want to highlight is Jill Moore. Now, Jill, I don't think is in here anywhere. Uh, but Jill, her day job, uh, her day job before she puts on the superwoman cape and comes to Sozo, <laughs> her day job is she's daycare staff. But in Sozo, she loves to show up and she does it every Every Sunday morning, she shows up at 6 a.m. She's one of the first people here. Here she is right over here. She shows up at 6 a.m. And uh, let, me, let me back up and say this before I even say all that. Her and her sister and her family were some of the first people I met. We met whenever we started, uh, we started these startup parties before we started the church. And we were at a little cafe downtown. And her and her family showed up. And I would have never even imagined the contribution that you and your sister would have on our church and serving the families of our church. But uh, not only does she show up at 6 a.m. to help with all the load in. And she helps with, with facilitating all that process for our kids' ministry. But she's normally every single Sunday, she's upstairs and she's serving. If you're a parent here, she's serving your kids and she's leading them. And it, it, listen, we view that as a kid's ministry, not a kid's watch, a kid's ministry. And I honor you today. There was a point where you made a decision. I'm, it's, I'm not just going to stay seated. I'm going to start serving. And I honor you for that. Thank you for your contribution. You've sacrificed a lot and you've made a massive difference in the lives of kids. My kids love you, and we love you. You know, I think about another person. I think about where's, where's Freddie at? Freddie's somewhere around here. Where are you at, Freddie? Freddie Owen, where are you at? Freddie's back there working the camera. Uh, Freddie, in case you didn't know what his day job is, he's a software engineer, which means he's smart. Um, <laughs> rich, too? I don't know. Maybe rich. I don't know. Um, but he serves... He started coming to our church. I remember when I first met him. I mean, he just, if, if you've seen him on camera, he not only works behind the, state, behind the scenes, behind the camera, videoing what we do here, capturing it so that it can be broadcast and other people can tune in and be a part of it. But he also, not only does he work behind the camera, sometimes he does his own little camera work. If you've seen him do some video announcements and stuff, smiling from ear to ear, I love his contagious joy. But at some point, Freddie said this, you know what? Man, church is for me, but it's not just for me. 
and, and I'm thankful for God's grace and the gospel. It's for me, but it's not just for me. I'm moving from being seated to serving. And I want to be a contribution in this house. And we honor you today, Freddie. I think about Adelina. I don't know if Adelina is here today. I, I'm not sure if she was able to be here today. But Adelina, she's faithful. She's here every Sunday serving. And you've probably seen her at the door there greeting. And she's that big smile. She'll give you a hug when you walk in. You know, her day job is she's a school director. She's in the education system. And that's, that's a place where God is using her to serve there and to make a difference. But for her, she's like, you know what? I don't want to just serve at my job. I want to serve the people in my church. I want to give my talents and my gifts of creating a hos- uh, creating hospitality. And, and, and hosting people. I want to create that experience for my church family. And she, she serves you faithfully every Sunday. She's at that door and she's just smiling and shaking hands and loving people and handing out little brochures and cards and things like that. And I honor her today for her sacrifice and her contribution to our church. Last one is Cole, Cole Sullivan, uh, or as Elton calls him, Will, uh, confuses me all the time. Freddie, Ricky, Cole, Will, I mean, we don't know what y'all's names are here. Everybody's making them up. But, uh, but Cole Sullivan, uh, Cole is a freelance creative, and uh, I'm so proud of him. He was actually a student in my youth ministry a long, long time ago. So I've seen him grow in his relationship with Jesus. But one thing has always stayed the same, his servant's heart. And he doesn't care who gets the credit. He doesn't care if you ever recognize him. He's probably embarrassed that I'm doing this right now, but I really don't care. Cole, we love you so much. He serves on our production team, creating the animations like for our videos. And he serves behind the camera many times. And he is an unbelievable person. He loves Jesus. But at some point he said, you know what? Church isn't just for me. Church is about serving other people. It's about expanding the kingdom of God. It's about reaching more people. I'm moving from being seated to serving. And I honor Cole today for that. And I thank you for it. Now, as I wrap up, I'm going to tell you these two things. One is this, is that I didn't say all that to make you feel guilty if you don't serve here. Because some of you just simply don't have the bandwidth to do that. But I, I definitely wanted to honor those that, that do have the bandwidth to do that and the capacity to do that. But what I want to encourage you to do is this, is I want you to, to, to really consider, like, is, are there some things that I could lay aside in my life to create space and bandwidth to be able to serve both in the church and outside the church? Is it possible that you could join in a team of people and your spiritual family to make a difference? Here's what that could look like for some of you. For some of you, maybe it is going through the growth track, joining the dream team, becoming a greeter, working, you know, being out in the parking lot back here or serving in kids ministry or serving in worship and creative arts or behind the camera. It could be one of those things. It may be every week. Maybe it's once a month, whatever your capacity may be. I want to encourage you to prayerfully consider that. Or maybe it's like, you're like, man, listen, I just want to come to church. I just want to hang. I just want to chill. Totally good. Listen, maybe God wants to use you to lead a small group, to host a small group. Here's my, here's my, here's my point. God doesn't need you. God wants you. And he wants you to join his rescue mission of redeeming mankind and bringing hope and healing and grace and mercy and love to people. Here's why. Because he knows the difference that you can make in someone's life, but he also knows the difference that it'll make in your life. And there is a fulfillment and a joy and a blessing that you will experience when you begin to do that. 
when you move from being a consumer to a contributor to giving the gifts of talents and the service and the time that you have to serve people and to be a blessing to people. And so I want to encourage you to, to maybe prayerfully consider going through the growth track. Today's step one. It's a great day to do it. I'll be up there. I'd love to, to meet you and be a part of that. Maybe, you, maybe you're new to the church and maybe you've been coming here for a while. Listen, this is a shameless plug for this, not for you to fill a need, but for you to be fulfilled. For you, to, for you to discover your purpose and maybe some gifts and strengths in you and how you can be a contributor in the house of God, building the kingdom of God. And the second one is this. Here's another way you can serve. Maybe you're like, I'm just not ready yet. Uh, there will come a day when maybe I'll do that. Here's one way that you can serve and you can be a contributor is you can take those invite cards. This won't take much for you to do it, but I want you to invite your friends and your family, those that you have influence with or maybe complete, complete strangers. Invite them to come here because listen, you matter so much in the kingdom of God that God could use you to reach someone and maybe, just maybe, I don't know, maybe you buy somebody a coffee and you give them that card and they show up here on Easter Sunday and man, they hear a message of hope, the message of Jesus and man, tears come streaming down their face. They, they give their lives to Jesus. They become a follower of Jesus and one day, and you may never even know, you may never know if they show up here, but one day you'll be in heaven and you'll stand before God and you'll be reminded. God will say, thank you because you went out and you served and you, you, you went out there and you rescued one of my lost sons or one of my lost daughters. Thank you for doing that. You can make a difference. Amen. I want to encourage you to do that. And this is my last little, little statement I'll give to you right here. Imagine the impact. Imagine the impact that you could make on your marriage, not just in our church, but on your marriage, your family, and your coworkers, if you'd begin to really devote your life to being a servant of Jesus. Imagine living your life in such a way that people remember you as the greatest servant leader they have ever known. That is possible. Imagine not only how powerful this could be for you, but what if every Christian in our city actually had a cultural paradigm shift from simply wanting to be great and making great money what if every Christian in our city actually said, I want to make a great difference and become a servant of Jesus? Imagine what it could look like in our city and in our church if we just stooped down into the broken places and spaces of our community and we began to wash the feet of our city. What type of impact and influence could we as a church have on a city by just simply taking personal responsibility of the needs of our community? Listen, imagine a church whose members actively and faithfully serve in their neighborhoods, in their workplaces, in their schools, and in the streets, making our city better and brighter. I'm telling you what, I see a church filled with small groups of people who don't just sit around a coffee table studying scripture. While that is important, that's not it. But people that actually live out the Bible. Don't just study it, but you actually live out the Bible. I see a church that not only preaches the good news, but personifies the good news in a city filled with people walking in pain and poverty. Listen, I see a church that knows the needs of its city and does everything within her power to serve and love her city with no strings attached. I see a church that shapes the city and a city shapes the world. That is Sozo Church. That is who we are. Serving is our calling. Can you say amen? Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.